If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Last week, we looked at, um, really the focus, I think, was on why John decided to say, we have seen him, we have heard him, we have touched him. One of the things that stands out, particularly in 1 John, is Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics, roughly after the fall of the temple in 70 AD, Gnosticism began to coalesce. It became much more focused. A lot of these different ideas, philosophy, various religions, all started coming into play. So basically, Gnosticism taught that matter is evil. Matter is evil and only the spirit is good. Therefore, in the Gnostics' mindset, Jesus could not have taken up physical form because that would have made him less than God. So the Gnostics also believed that since matter was evil, that is the flesh, we would say in Greek, the sarks, our, our sin nature, that it is, you cannot escape it. And the only way to escape the sin nature is through a special knowledge which takes you to heaven and you're able to peer in to God's glory. Another thing the Gnostics taught was since the flesh was evil and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it, indulge it. Because you're not going to be held accountable for sin because you can't help it. And so when we think about uh, the text we're looking at today, we're really talking here about what John says, how to test genuine fellowship. So if the Gnostics believe that all, all sin is, is unavoidable, then you just indulge it, and the Gnostics say you have to have this special knowledge which you're able to escape the corruption of the world. And in the other big thing that the Gnostics did was they negated the humanity of Christ. So when Jesus went to the cross, he just appeared to go to the cross. He didn't really go to the cross, and they focus on the transfiguration of Christ. John says, this is not right. We have seen him, we have heard him, we have touched him concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was real. And so John writes in light of this. Now, we're going to look today at the test of fellowship, the test of true fellowship. First of all, we learn very simply that God is light. God is light. There's five if statements in these verses. Uh, three of them are of the third class variety and two of them are of the first class variety. He's also focusing here on the truth. What is the truth? So we look first of all at the message. This is the message. This is verse 5a. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. The Greek word uh, for message there refers to that which is announced. And of course, we go back and we read it. Verse 1, that which we have heard. So that was a proclamation. That which we have seen and heard 
we proclaim to you in verse 3. So the issue here was this message came from Christ. When it, when it says what we have heard from him, this message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, we are supposing that this is a reference to Christ and obviously to God. So when Jesus was on this earth, he spoke many things to his disciples. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. He talked to them about how you, uh, how you deal with and walk as a disciple, that you follow him, you must lay down your cross, uh, you, you must lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow him. It is a costly uh, discipleship. And so Jesus spoke many things. In fact, the scriptures say that uh, the volumes could not contain the things that Jesus spoke. But John picked up on a lot of this and he said, look, we've heard what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God. And John says, we simply proclaim to you, anagelo, which means to provide information with considerable de detail. So John is proclaiming something in detail that Jesus proclaimed in detail. You know, I, I, I thought about this. Sometimes when we witness, we kind of do a broad stroke. Maybe sometimes it's good to go down and say, okay, why is man sinful? We go back to Genesis chapter 3. We teach them about the fall of, of man. That means from that point on, we had a sin problem in the world. And then we go into Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Take them the Roman road to salvation. Uh, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10. 9 and 10, and maybe provide some detail about why you believe what you believe. So John says, we have proclaimed it. Now, a very simple uh, issue here are the metaphors. That God is light. This is, uh, there's so much ink, so much ink on this, and I think the text really clears it up for us. God is light and in him is no darkness. As I went back and I looked at John, even from the Gospels, and kind of studied the Gospel of John and 1 John, there's some things that John focuses on, and, and these, are, these seem to be repeated things that John focuses on. God is spirit. John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. John mentions truth twice in these verses here. A second thing that John focuses on, God is love. And basically, in 1 John 4.8, since God is love, you must love, and if you don't love, then you do not know God. Then there is the big one. God is light, 1 John 1, 5, which is what we're looking at here. So when you look, when you look at the Greek language, the word phos, God, theos, the supreme creator of the universe, God is light. Do you know what the Greek word means in every case? That which is opposite of darkness. And there's been a lot of, like I said, there's been a lot of ink spilled. But I think it's actually clarified in the very next phrase. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
this is where I think scholars can overthink things. This no darkness at all is a double negative in the Greek. It's skotia. And skotia means sin and evil. So that would explain what God is like. It is opposed to sin and evil. So when John wrote this, he was saying to the Gnostics and to those who believe that you could sin and do whatever you want to do, he said, no, 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 no. In God, there is no darkness. God is not evil. He is not impure. Over on the other side of the fence, you have God is light, which has to mean a couple of things, but let's kind of unpack this. Number one, God is light. It could refer to the splendor and glory of God, and I totally get that. God is so holy. He's full of splendor. He's full of, full of glory. It could also refer to God as self-revealing or shining. And that's certainly a possibility. But I think the context here kind of gives us what John is talking about. And I think it's this third one. Moral perfection. God is holy. Therefore, be you holy. It's not something that, uh, and by the way, that's, not only from the Old Testament, that's a New Testament quote borrowed from the Old Testament. Be holy for I am holy. So what happens is in, in the Christian life, we seem to think, and, and I understand it, we, we seem to think that when we're saved, all of our sin is forgiven. That is true uh, in one sense. The other sense, we always struggle with the sin nature, don't we? Now, as believers, we struggle with it and, and he's going to talk about this in a minute. It's not that we deliberately try to sin. But it's in our nature. Paul says we wrestle against the flesh. We wrestle against our, our fallen nature. Yet we are redeemed and all of our sin is forgiven. But the issue is, as we live our lives, that if God is holy... He has called us to the same type of holiness even though we cannot reach it in this life. And if you look at what John was talking about as far as the Gnostics, you could see as they're coming into the church, you don't have to worry about sin. Indulge it. Live as you want. You can't help it. John says, no, no, no. And he'll talk about the test in just a minute. The point here that, that John is trying to make is that God is morally perfect. God is holy. And therefore, anybody that deliberately lives in disobedience to God and Jesus, who denies the humanity of Jesus, is in a, is in a wrong place. And he starts, this, is, this regulates uh, that God is lighted in him is no, is no darkness at all. This regulates 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. So he says, this is what it looks like. On one end, God is morally pure. He is holy. On the other end, there is no darkness. There is no evil. There is no sin in God. Because if that were the case, God would be null and void. And John says, huh-uh. God is light, folks, and that means opposed to the darkness, which the darkness is. And by the way, 
You know the first thing that God did in creating the world? He created light. Interesting. Separated the day from the night. Oh, my friend D. Edmund Hebert. I, I, I miss him. He's with the Lord. In this epistle, John uses it in connection with the thought of man's fellowship with God. Whatever other thoughts this designation may involve, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. It clearly involves the intellectual and moral, enlightenment and holiness. And I would agree with that. So, that's kind of the premise by which John uses to launch in as a test case for those who claim to know Christ but don't and those who claim to know Christ but do. There's two different ways. And again, black and white. Everything's black and white with God. Some people say, well, I'm right on the fence. You're not on the fence. You're in one camp or the other. So God is light and believers walk in the light. And we're going to look, first of all, at those in darkness. And we go to verse 6. We're going to go verse 6, verse 8, and then with verse 10. Verse 10 is a very scary conclusion. Verse 10 is. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say, third-class conditional in the Greek language. I know you're looking at those this and you go, what does it mean? Well, it's a third-class conditional, and it means simply that the condition is in doubt. So we're going to look at the claim, we're going to look at the conduct, and then we're going to look at the condemnation of it. First of all, they claim to have fellowship with God. These are people that do not know God, but they claim to have a relationship. Quanonia, we've heard that word probably a lot in church, quanonia spirit, and that means in a close relationship, not only with God, but with us. Did you know that this is a quanonia fellowship this morning of like-minded believers, those who have trusted in Christ? That's quanonia. That means we are in fellowship, close fellowship with one another. But these people say... These people say, I'm a believer. I've trusted Christ. And yet when you look at their life and you look at how they live and what they invite into their lives, they are actually not saved. It's profession versus practice is what John's getting at. So if you look at them, if we say, and John believes that this statement is absolutely false, the claim being made, the conduct, they walk in darkness. And this word walk means periparto, which means to live or act in a behavior which is opposed to the gospel. That is covered up with darkness, which is skotos, which is the realm of sin. I love another scholar that I love to read. I'm going to put his quote up there. It's very simple. Uh, very simple quote, but very powerful. Light can be shut out, 
but it cannot be shut in. You can reject the light of the gospel. People do that all the time. I think of people I've witnessed to on their deathbeds that just refuse to accept Christ. And that's horrific. You can shut it out. You can shut the light of the gospel out. You can harden your heart to a point where you will not see the light of the gospel. But as believers, you cannot shut the light in. It will come out at some point. It, it will be reflected in our lives. And John says, so you look at these people, they're living however they want to live, and yet they're claiming to be born-again believers. It's profession and practice. We say that we love God with all of our hearts, then our lives should reflect that. We should be following him with everything that we have in our lives. I've heard this, I don't know how many times. I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's quite a few. And I don't want to put a number on it because I don't want to lie to you. But I've, I've heard people say, I was baptized when I was eight. And I was on the church rolls. They're in their 50s or 60s. Not attending church living like the world. I'm kind of like James. James questioned that kind of salvation. Now let me say this. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin. That's not even possible. We all sin. But when somebody says that I'm saved, there needs to be some evidence of that in their lives. I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that think they're going to heaven and rejecting the things of God and think they're going to go to heaven. That's not the case. I believe once saved, always saved. I preach it. You can only be saved as many times as Christ died. How many times did Christ die? Once. You can only be saved once. But at that moment, when you are saved, something happens inside of you. You may not understand it at the time, but eventually, through nurturing and through fellowship with other believers, you start getting on the road towards the kingdom of God. These people claim, I'm saved. John says, no, you're not. Look at your life, the way you're living. And he says, in the condemnation part, we lie and do not practice the truth. Pseudomai is the word for lie, which means a falsehood. Truth, aletheia, used by John a lot of times, is a reference to the gospel. So if I read it to you this, this way, we lie and we do not practice the gospel message. You'll get drill down here in the second one. Now let's look at the verse 8. If we say we have no sin, there it is, right there. You see the Gnostics? I don't sin because I have special knowledge. John says, wait a minute. <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the gospel, the aletheia, is not in us. John takes it a step further. Not only are they not living for God, 
but actually they don't even have the gospel in them and verse 10 is going to be a mind boggler so look at this so he says if and third class conditional again it means it is very much in doubt you could just say John doesn't believe it these people saying that we don't have sin you do have sin we deceive ourselves and the aletheia the truth the gospel is not in a sin harmatea which means wrong doing and guilt let me let me take a shot at this this is what the Gnostics were teaching you can sin you don't have to worry about it you don't have to feel guilty about it and then you can just have this special knowledge and be up with God in heaven and you don't have to worry about it there's no guilt let me ask you something have you ever done something wrong one of the acid tests of a believer is instinctively knowing I shouldn't have done that and there's some type of guilt associated with wrongdoing right wrongdoing right <laughs> That means that when we sin as believers, oh gosh, I'm sorry God, I shouldn't have done that. I ask for forgiveness. That's what you need to do right on the spot. Right? Amen, right? But, somebody over here that thinks they know God, but they don't, I can live however I want to live. That's, that's not only bad theology, that's wrong understanding of God. We are called to be holy. And let me say this again so that I'm not misunderstood. Don't leave out here today saying, Pastor Mike said I have to be holy just like God. I said we try to attain that holiness. Knowing full well that tomorrow morning, half of y'all are going to sin and stumble. The issue is intent. I think the issue is intent. And I have met people in the church that have freaked me out. A deacon in my first full-time church asking me how evil he can be. In a Southern Baptist church. Y'all have heard that story. I know you have. The deacon walked up to me after Wednesday night and he leaned up against me. He said, Pastor, how evil can I be? First of all, thinking about it, pointing to the cross where he can get saved. D. Edmund Hebert writes this, John is referring to the claim of the Gnostics that an act of sin was a matter of the flesh and did not defile their spirit. Hence, they were free from any guilt of the act. Wrong theology. I sinned, it's not a big deal. I'm forgiven under the umbrella of grace. I can just do what I want to do. And you know, the thing is, we are under the umbrella of God's grace. But we don't use God's grace for disgrace. It's a big difference. And so John's saying, if you want to look at what fellowship looks like, look at these guys. If we say we have no sin, 
Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4.27. Do not give the devil a foothold. Sometimes I think it's good to review our lives and ask, what are we doing? How are we living? I think it's good. Sometimes self-evaluation. Has the Satan got a foothold in my life, some area of my life? Here's the wonderful thing about it. All you got to do is ask for forgiveness, and it's broken. Christ will break that. And so maybe there's something, I don't know, something in your life that may not be right. It's always good to repent. It's like cleaning it out. It's like cleaning out a sore. We aim, in chapter 2, we'll, we'll get there. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. So when you, when you have a so-called believer over here, claiming to be saved, but then you look at their life, you go, mm, I don't know. We, we can definitely be fruit inspectors. Only God can be the root inspector. But, but, there are some people, they're not saved. They think they are. And, he's, and the, that was the claim. If we say we have no sin, the condition is we deceive ourselves. Plano, which means, this is interesting, to be led off in the wrong path. The deception is, did God just come on? The light came on a little brighter there. The deception is that I'm on the right path, but in actuality, I'm on the wrong path. I've taken the wrong way. And again, it happens to the best of us. We all sin. We all make mistakes. And again, John writes, and the truth is not in us. Aletheia mostly refers to the gospel. I know it seems kind of hard to believe, but John's saying not everyone that professes is actually a believer. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. And you know what? Satan doesn't mind if you're religious. He doesn't mind if you're religious. Where Satan has a problem is when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ and get saved. And unfortunately, I worry that these people that claim to be saved and actually aren't are in trouble. Verse 10, this is the big one, I, I think. If we say we have not sinned, we make Christ a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we make Christ a liar, and the Logos is not in us. We have not sinned is a blatant refusal to acknowledge the need for repentance. Let me say this, just pastorally, never get to the point in your life when you can't go, you know what? I need to ask God to forgive me of that. Don't ever get there. It's not a good place to be. Every believer should be quick 
to ask God to forgive them the moment that they sin because most of you guys and gals know when you do something wrong. And so we make God a liar. So God says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If I say I don't have sin, then I make God a liar. And that's a bad place to be in. His word is not in us. Could refer to Christ or the message. Now let's take just a few minutes. Those in the light, that's us. Whew, we finally made it. <laughs> we're, at the good, we're at the good stuff. But if, and this is a first-class conditional, which assumes to be true. John is assuming that this statement is true. If we walk in the light, that is everything that is opposed to darkness, to evil and sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, this is verse 7. We have fellowship with one another. That's what John's concerned about. Because Gnostics had come into the church teaching you can live however you want to live. You just need this special knowledge. You don't have to worry about the guilt of sin. And so you're good. That we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Somebody asked me one time, it hasn't been that long ago, why do you preach the way you preach? And I said, because I have to stand before God. My judgment's going to be harder. And so the way I preach is I give you what the word says and then let you decipher it in your heart. I can only make suggestions and recommendations and preaching and of course walk is periparto which is the same walk that the unbelievers were doing but these believers were walking in the light walking in the light these are some suggestions read the bible worship share the gospel repent of sin seek holiness we've been talking about that god is holy no darkness, no sin in him at all. Love others should be the banner of our lives. People need to know the way that they're going to find out about Christ is by how much you love them. And so we should be quick to love. Hate sin. When was the last time you said in your life, God, today I'm not going to sin. I'm going to try not to sin because I hate sin. If you hate something, you're not going to do it. I don't know, I think it's theologically okay to say hate sin, but do ministry. Get involved in the local church. Do ministry. Humility as opposed to being proud. And I just wrote these. I, I put my little timer on and I said, I'm going to see how many things I can flesh out here real quick. I think it took me a minute. Encourage others. Brothers and sisters, if there was ever a day where we need to be encouraged in the church, it is today. Do you know how bad that world is out there? And how much comes up against us and beats us? We need to be uplifting one another, not tearing each other down. So encourage, be kind. One pastor said to his congregation, show a little teeth, smile, be kind. Actually, this 
technically this should have been up under the Bible. I don't know. Prayer first, Bible second. It's kind of, it's, it's a toss-up. It's a quandary. Gratitude. I was once told by a, by a pastor, the first sign of a spiritual problem is an attitude of ingratitude. Go home today, write down everything you're thankful for. Because we get stuck on the negative real easy. I'm there with you. We, we get stuck on it. You, do you know how good God has been to you all? And to me? He has been really good, folks. God has given us a lot. The fact that you're here, and by the way, I'm glad to see so many in church today. Please come back next week. I hope this doesn't scare you off. But um, God's given us a lot. Oftentimes, we just take it for granted what God has given us. And we got to sit down and go, God, thank you for my car. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my finances. Thank you for my pets. I mean, a wide variety of, of gratitude. That, you know what, what, what that does? It expresses our love for God and also the fact that God has given us everything. We own nothing. It has been given to us by God. And therefore, because God is so good and so gracious, we thank him. Yeah, I got hung up on that this week too. And God <clears throat> corrected me a little bit. You get thinking about things and, and God goes, wait a minute, pastor. Corrected me. Follow the Spirit. That means listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. Guard the tongue. I heard something this week. It's easier to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. I don't know about that. Guard the tongue. Grow to maturity. These are all things, I think, at least in my little mind, these are all things that show how you walk in the light. Deny yourself. This is the hardest one. I don't know. It's really a toss-up. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Denying self is very hard to do. It really is. Right? It's really hard to do. Avoid temptation. These are all things that believers should be doing. Two results here. If they walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and we have fellowship with one another. David Walls in his commentary, all sin means every kind of sin and shows there's no limit to the categories of the sin that Christ is willing to forgive. His sacrificial death made every type of sin forgivable. Way back yonder, there was a woman that told me she had had an abortion wanted to know if God could forgive her. And I told her there is no sin 
that God cannot forgive. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the rejection of the Holy Spirit by which you get salvation. I remember my grandfather, Porter. Um, he had Alzheimer's. And he was saying stuff that um, he was saying stuff that he would not normally say. I mean, he was cussing. And my grandmother, Porter, called me. She said, I know you're a pastor. I think your grandfather's going to the hot place. I said, Mom all. That's what we called him down south, Mom all, Pop all. That sounds kind of strange, Mom all and Pop all, but. I said, Mom all, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's a time when God's grace is sufficient. And I assured her that he wasn't going to the hot place, he's going to heaven, and his mind is just not with him anymore. And luckily, he didn't have to live with that condition too long. He died the day we were moving from Midwestern Seminary to Ohio. And my grandmother told me, you go on to your church, don't worry about it. Then I did wind up preaching my grandmother's funeral. Um, and boy, did I hammer my family. It's easy to preach to your own family because I was going to fly back to Ohio <laughs> out of arm's reach. Look, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Homo lugal, confess. This, this is what it is, folks. I really believe John's telling us today that the goal of the Christian walk is to seek holiness. Along the journey of life, none of us are perfect. Me, you, those watching, none of us are perfect. And when we get to those imperfect moments in our lives, those snapshots, <laughs> those snapshots where, whoa, you ask for forgiveness of that. And this is what I believe about Christ. That if you'll just acknowledge your sin and ask for forgiveness of that sin, done. It's wiped out. But what happens is so often we just get in the Christian walk. And we let things kind of pile up and pile up. And before long, we're carrying around a bunch of stuff. I think repentance should be a daily act. Because if, I, want you to, I want you to pay attention to this this week. Go out there and look at your actions and then go, wait a minute, that was wrong, shouldn't have thought that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. 
And at that moment, just go, God, I'm sorry, I asked for forgiveness. Part of asking for forgiveness is also making it right. Particularly if it involves somebody else. You say something, you blurt it out, it was wrong. Then you got to go to the person and say, I'm sorry, but it'll, it will be forgiven. And it says here that God is faithful. He is always faithful. You guys and gals know that. God is faithful. He's also very, very good to us. Very good. Spend time. Spend time with him. This week I came in and I sat there just for a period of time and, and reflected not only on the sermon, but reflected on life. It's amazing what God will reveal to you. But we get so busy. My goodness, Monday this, Tuesday that, Wednesday should be at church, but by the way, we do have church on Wednesday nights. Thursday we got this, Friday we got this, can't do it in the morning. No wonder we struggle so much. We need to have a time where we go to God and we say, look, God, this is my life. I love you even though my actions don't always show it. Help me, Lord, in my daily life. Talk to me. I think it would radically change the way we view life. And particularly the world today. fellowship tests. There are those that say they're saved, but they're not. Then there are those that are saved. They struggle along the roads of life with sin and stumble. We all, sin, we all stumble in many ways. But they keep trying. They keep trying and they keep moving. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for your word in the Bible. Thank you that you are a good God and you care for us, and you love us. Father, thank you that we can come to you with any sin that we have committed and ask for forgiveness. And we know that that sin is totally forgiven. Wiped out, done. Father, help us in our daily walk to reflect the light that is in us. Father, my prayer is for each one here today that you will use them mightily this week in service for you. <clears throat> Help them to keep focused on you each day, to love others, to be kind, to watch their tongue, and to reach out to a world that is in darkness so that they can be brought into the light and have fellowship 